What is going on, guys? Welcome back to the Lions Blog Podcast. This is your host, Gavin. I have been listening to the podcast recently, and I've been coming in hot. So I came in a little slower that time, and hopefully, uh, hopefully that does the job because uh, I've been I've been seeing some really high uh, decibel bars on my editing software. <laughs> um, so just wanted you have to an editing software. I do have an editing software. I paid. It's twelve dollars every three months for it. So four, what is that? Four dollars a uh, month? That's that's a waste of money. <laughs> no, I actually I actually like it. It it's good. I'm able to edit stuff on it. That's where I edit like videos sometimes, and I edit uh uh like like the uh definitely the intro. not this podcast. Definitely not this podcast. We don't edit this podcast, of course. But uh, the intro definitely edit that there as well. Um, that being said. Hello, everybody. It is the interval. Uh, we did have two international games. I couldn't care less about them. I know U.S. men's national team beat Morocco and tied Uruguay, and that's about all I know about the games. Didn't watch them, didn't care. Uh, we're here to talk some Orlando City. Taylor from Orlando City UK and I did a mid-season review. Really, really recommend. Taylor was awesome. He is Man, he's born for podcasting. I wish we could have him on more often, but he is a very busy human being. I'm a very busy human being, and I hope you guys still love us as we are. That being said, we are here to do a Pareja review, basically. So I felt now was a good time. It's a good breaking point in the season, but the season's still going. We've had Pareja since 2020 now. And it is June 6, 2022. So I think it's fair to kind of discuss the, the things that we've seen from him, what's been good, what's been bad, um, what could be improved upon, and have those conversations amongst the three of us. So you've already heard Adam. So Adam, first and foremost, how are you doing tonight? And how has Cappy's Food Truck been doing? Uh, pretty good. You know, it's it's still a new business, so I'm learning and you know, figuring out what events are good to do and what events are not so good to do. But, you know, I, everyone has been really great. That's, uh, and I've met a lot of people from Orlando city, uh, just the family, you know, OC Twitter and, and particular, and it's been awesome meeting a lot of you and everyone's been super nice. So that's been my favorite part of it. And um, all of the Orlando city games we've done have been fantastic our next one, I think, no, it's not the Open Cup match, is it? I'll, I'll look at it up by the end of this podcast, but um, we're going to be doing more of those, and stay tuned for some more exciting announcements Good on stuff. that. Good stuff, good stuff. Chase is our other guest tonight. Chase, how are you doing tonight, my friend? I'm doing good. I'm not as busy as, as you guys are by the sounds of things, so... My answer is not quite as long. I've just been going to school, going to work. That's about it. You've been very busy grinding the FIFA. Oh, grinding the FIFA. It's team of the season season. So I'll I'll come home at like 11 from work or something. And I'll stay up until like 3 a.m. Like I I have to do my weekend league tomorrow. 
So do all 20 games. So Adam, you know, you got some like big boy stuff going on over here. I'm still living the dream. Chase, I'll trade with you. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's going to concerts. He's playing FIFA, you know, Chase. Okay. If you haven't seen, go to Chase's Twitter account at Vamos OCSC. He had a look for the Phoebe Bridgers concert. Everyone should go and comment their rating under his picture. I'm yeah. gonna solve oh, eight. Look good. Only, listen, yeah, only if it's like good though, because I'm I'm a little sensitive. Yeah, <laughs> we only hype our friends up. That's all we do. So ever like sevens and higher. Like we we don't we don't want to see that little shit. It's like the that dog page we rate dogs and they do like fifteen out of ten. That's what you got to do with Chase. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I'm very similar to a dog. <laughs> dog energy. All right. Big well, dog energy. You can tell it's um, international break time when we're four and a half minutes into the podcast and we haven't even started it. Um, We are in mid-season form, Gavin. (laughs) Yeah, clearly. Let's go ahead and I've listed out a couple of different topics for us to go into, give our thoughts on. And then we are going to categorize them into pros of Pareja or cons of Pareja. So we have these very nuanced topics that we're going to make very binary. So hope you guys enjoy. <laughs> and then, we, of course, we have some listener questions at the end, which love our listener questions. They're always good to discuss. So let's get straight into it. First and foremost, I think it was good to start with the style of play. So Chase, I'm going to go to you first here. How would you best describe our style of play under Orlando City over the past few seasons, and maybe what are some of the key hallmarks of our style of play? Yeah, under Oscar, it's... I don't know. I think that Oscar Pereja is a bit more pragmatic than some managers would be, but there are certainly things that are like a hallmark, I guess, of how he plays, and I think a lot of that has to do with... um, One of the first things that I remember like noticing was a much more like organized press... Um, but he uses it pretty, not sparingly, but like it's, it's not pressed for 90 minutes every time. Like there'll be times where we press forward maybe in the first 20 minutes a game and then we fall off a bit and, you know, we're able to create some chances from that as well. I also think like something that I kind of talk about that I've noticed and, and like a lot, especially because of the players they are, is like our fullback play. Like I think even more so than most teams, like our fullbacks are heavily um involved in the attacking play and, and at times like our wide players who line up out wide will just like drift in the center and we're kind of getting all of our width from the fullbacks and then i think another thing as well like most teams are in sort of like this modern game i guess is um our center backs like we've done well to bring in two center backs who are very good defensively as well as very good with the ball at their feet um and we are kind of like we don't necessarily create as many chances as honestly I would hope, but I think that we are a little bit diverse in the way that we can create chances. Like we can hold the ball and then possess and then like wait for our time. Um, And sometimes I feel like maybe we're lacking like a bit of the killer instinct in that. Like we can kind of just hold the ball around the box without really getting too much of a great look. Um, But we can also like look to counter. We can look to like, get the ball forward, play it out to Huan, like through the space that we will create sometimes, like through possession or like through winning the ball um, and then get forward and then try to hit teams quickly. We also, I think we play a lot 
from the wings, like out wide, and that's kind of to do with the fullbacks. Like I think a lot of our chances do come um, from wide areas, not necessarily centrally. Um, but yeah, that's my synopsis of Oscar Pereja thus far. Yeah, I think that just about sums it up. Adam, would you add anything else? I would say that when Perea's system works, it's very hard to break down because it is not very risky. So I think that has a lot to do with, you know, keeping possession in like safer wide areas and, you know, only sending one fullback forward at a time. He, he You'll notice he almost seems to play with a back three despite it not appearing as such on the lineup sheet. He will always almost always have three players back in a back line. There have been games where we've just been annihilated and, and yeah, we get we get run past. But in games that we sh- seem to show up in, it's it's difficult to score against a, a well-working Oscar Pereja team just because he doesn't give up many vulnerable positions. And that, I think, is a trade-off uh, between him not always committing the numbers forward and support that we, we might like to see to generate more of like grade a chances um that you know someone with a killer instinct might be able to finish off so and you guys kind of kind of where the frustration comes but also you know there is a benefit to it and you guys know that's something that i struggle with sometimes like for example i think the lafc game comes to mind where it's like i think we were we went out to attack lafc we went out to really get at them but I, they transitioned on us really well, and that was the trade-off. We went out there to score goals against LAFC and beat them offensively, and we kept the, the, the back door a little bit too wide open. Doesn't help Antonio Carlos got injured that game, but that was kind of the trade-off there. I struggle with that sometimes with his style of play, but that's just the sport. I don't really think it's Pareja, and you you have to have the players to be able to say, okay, I'm comfortable with leaving my center backs 1v1 or 2v2 at the back. I think they're going to handle it. Uh, think of, I don't know, Van Dyke or Konate or at, at Liverpool. Sometimes they'll leave them 1v1 and just go all out for the game because they need to, and they'll handle it. They'll sweep it up because they're some of the best center backs in the world. I mean, I think we're not Johnson and Antonio Carlos for an MLS level are those guys. I, it, it, mm, it's hard to imagine getting much better. I would, yeah, I think that they're one of, it's not, I mean, I think they're at least like a top five pairing in the league. We're not going to spend DP slots on center backs. Yeah. I think sitting deep they are, but I think when players are running at them, like like situationally, when, when players are running at them in transition, I think they're just like any other center back and they have their flaws there. And it's a very difficult scenario to defend in, but sitting deep top five in the league easily. They're very good at that. So, Adam, I'm going to stick... Oh, go ahead. I mean, like that's why I said, like, in MLS, that's about the best you're going to get. Yeah, I agree. Adam, I'm going to stick with you, and then, Chase, I'm going to get your question on this, or your, your input on this. We talked about kind of what the style of play is. Um, I'll add one more thing, too. Uh, sorry, I went on a tangent there. I feel like our wide players are also defensive wide players, so... You think of Mueller, who's a little bit more defensively sound. Benji, he's taught to be more defensively sound. Um, yes, Nani was a wide player for a while, um, but he was kind of he came into Nani, um, and now that he's 
kind of been involved in bringing in Facundo Torres. Facundo Torres comes back and plays defense more than Nani did for certain. I mean, um, if, if you don't play defense, you don't play for Poppy. Exactly, especially on yeah, at, even at the, the strikers. Like yeah. both Kara and Tasho press. It, Pato gets a little bit of an excuse because Pato, Pato will still get back and, and you know put a challenge in. Yep. So I think this style of play, Adam, makes us more competitive. But on the flip side, I don't think it makes us as fun to watch as we could be with the players we have in terms of entertainment value. So where do you strike that balance of being competitive on the pitch and versus being entertaining to watch as a fan? I like winning. <laughs> I, I like winning. I, I like, you know, not seeing us get scored on because, you know, the trade-off obviously without a, a, like a suffocating midfielder or something like, or, or being like the revolution last year where there was untouchable for whatever reason, which interestingly enough, the underlying numbers didn't show the revs doing the things they did, but it just fell for them. Everything came together perfectly. But in in any event, um, I think when this team wins, it is entertaining because that's kind of what they're built to do and they managed to do it. Maybe it's just the players that do it with a flair, like Urso has flair to him, Torres has flair to him, Pato has flair to him, Juan does, like all these, holy shit, sorry, that is my phone. Um, fuck, I have to take this. Uh, Can you just ask Chase this question? I mean, <laughs> all, right. all right, go ahead. Sorry. Chase. <clears throat> ask me again. Pick, let's pick up where we left off. All right, so we're talking about we have Chase clearly wasn't paying attention. Jesus, <laughs> we have a style of play that makes us more competitive. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. maybe a little less fun to watch. Thoughts yeah, on that? It certainly isn't like from time to time, champagne football or soccer or whatever you would like to say. Um, and that's why, like, I kind of said earlier, not earlier on this podcast, but like in a previous one, that it's like Oscar, more than most coaches, I feel like he has to be winning in order for like us to feel good about him. You know what I'm saying? Because he is just way more like results oriented. I mean, all coaches are results-oriented, but you can also have some coaches where it's like they have a style that they're trying to implement, and you could see, like, oh, like, they're playing great. They, it's just not coming off from or something like that. Like, very rarely would I say, like, do we kind of feel like that? Actually, I feel like maybe the last couple games, and not for 90 minutes, but we'll have spells where we actually are looking quite good and things are coming together, and it's a bit more entertaining to watch. But because Oscar Preyal, like, you know, we'll talk about, like, the poppy special or something like that, like – it is a one nil ugly, not ugly, but like hard to break down type game where we might get two or three chances and we have to take it. And then we just cannot allow any clear cut chances. Um, so like, you know, people will defend a coach if it's like they are implementing a style of play that is very aesthetically pleasing and maybe they're not getting all of the results that you would like, but you can point out like, Oh, like we have the, the, the XG to back up that like, maybe we're working towards something like Pereja is someone who is just a results getter above all else. You know what I'm saying? Like more than some coaches, I think it's kind of hard to be like, Oh, this is his style, you know, X, Y, or Z. Like there are definitely things that are part of his game, but he's just like a rigid coach 
a disciplined coach and he likes to be hard to break down and we don't necessarily create chances like an LAFC would or like a Seattle even and maybe maybe a little bit less this year but you know what I'm getting at we are just there to get results and more often than not we are able to do it and if we do have to like you know stamp our imprint on the game and, and try to kind of be the protagonist which we do from time to time like the Columbus game I think maybe would be a good example of it there's like a capability to it but it is more of just a results type style, I would say, more than anything. You know, what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, definitely. When you first said it, I, I first thing I thought was that's a brilliant take because it's to me, I 100% agree with it. It's I'm trying to find an equivalent that people would yeah, be able to like understand, and like I'm not I'm not saying we're playing like Jose Mourinho soccer at all but like jose Mourinho is a results-based coach he doesn't play pretty soccer but at the end of the day he wins trophies at least throughout his career i mean he just won the conference league didn't he with roma yeah like he's won everywhere he's been except tottenham he's not sorry adam the bus player or type coach rather you know what i'm saying like it's a bit of a joke but like you know obviously he is like a serial winner except for tottenham unfortunately adam as gavin just said but uh <laughs> it is and you know like adam said it's like i want my team to play well i want it to be entertaining i think that was one of the good things about like having kaka and even nani in his first year where like we were dogged but like there could be some fun stuff happening every once in a while mm-hmm. but now it's more just like you know we're, we're attempting to go into that Mourinho mold i guess you could say it's it's kind of compare like if you look at like maybe matias almeida where when he first kind of implemented his like really weird like style of play, it was very much his style of play. And even though the results weren't overly there, it was just more of a likable thing to watch because it was so intriguing and it was so like, not that it maybe was like the smartest thing in the world. It was kind of like a, a visionary type take on it that I think he maybe had a longer leash than somebody who would be like a Jason Christ or something like that, where Jason Christ as well, he, it was horrific soccer and he was not winning so people hated him for it obviously yeah um but definitely i love the results thing uh, adam just go ahead and type in the chat whenever you're available um but um, yeah i there's an emergency i will hopefully only be gone like 10 15 minutes um but if I you need will... to go you're fine chase and i will finish out here yeah but... okay i will see if i can come back i'm just gonna leave my computer on put myself on mute that's fine. Hope everything's right. okay. Me too. Uh, there's a sketchy guy at Cappy's, and uh, one of my employees thinks they might be casing us to rob us. So I'm going to get on the phone with police. Sounds good. All right. Stay safe. Good luck. All right, Chase. Um, drama. Yeah, drama at Cappy's. Point. So, do we think the style of play is a pro or con where do you where do you lean on that it really is like i think that i would lean more so you know it, it is like as long as we're winning i enjoy watching the game blah 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 yeah. but at the end of the day also i do find the sport to be like as much as like entertaining as much as i do like oh i love this club and i want to see them win like i want i would like to be entertained as well and that's not to say like i think that we could maybe be overstating like how it is to watch this team play because at times, especially like in the buildup, it's not bad. And, and I can appreciate like quality defending as well, which is something that we'll see. Um, and like, you know, setting up your team to 
be hard to break down. Like that's fun as well. But I just think like the lack of clear cut chances that we create and the lack of kind of like, Ooh, excuse me, excitement in like the final third is a bit like frustrating to watch as a fan, specifically if someone's a neutral watching our games, which I'm sure not many neutrals are listening to us right now. But I would say that in some sense, it's like if you're just looking at it aesthetically, it's definitely better than we have had in the MLS era before. Um, So in that aspect, it's a pro. But if you kind of look around the league and some of the other teams that are a bit more, I don't know, fun and like weird even to watch and, and like exciting in all aspects of the play, of the field, even though they might not get the same results, you can kind of look at it as a con in that way. But I, I, I would still say that it's just particularly comparatively to what it was before and also because of the results that we are getting. It still is a pro for me, I would say. Yeah. Um, and just a final thing on this. I, the results thing, it's like because I think I'm struggling with Pereja a little bit right now at, at this moment in time. Um, is because we're not seeing the results. We're losing at home. Um, yeah. We're we're doing good on the road, but every time I, I I go to the stadium, I'm watching us lose games, and and maybe that's why it's it's been a struggle for me, results or wise. I think style of play. I lean towards pro because it gets us to the playoffs. It gets us into the conversation. Um, I don't think it does enough to take us over the edge. We would literally have to have every single player fit come playoffs, and we would have to be really inform and, and that's just not a realistic thing right now um and and that go, kind of looks at the the squad as well but um and, but squad management is a part of that i lean to pro our style of play is fine i agree i can find the joy in defensive play i can find the joy in being hard to break down um we do have moments each season of brilliance but you know i i looked at like the other day, Raul Ruiz Diaz scored a screamer against, um, not, maybe not a screamer, but against Charlotte to win the game. And like after the 80th minute, and what he did is he took the ball back past two players on the left corner of the 18-yard box and then swung it into the top upper 90 right side. And it's like I, I don't know any of our players who could, who would yeah. who would attempt that or or could do it. I, I think Facundo Torres could do it, but. Dribble past two players, open up a space, slot it to the top 90. All I can think is Facundo Torres, and he really hasn't attempted anything like that recently since he's come yeah. in. So sometimes it's like, and I, I would like to see more of that sometimes. Um, let's and move on made, here. Oh, go ahead. Well, like, that's what made Nani so interesting as well. Like, he had the ability to, like, even games where yeah. he would disappear, like, he would receive the ball from the left and cut on the inside and score like a wonder goal like he's done it against Miami a few times and various teams and that's something where it's like everyone could point to like underlying numbers maybe not showing Nani to be the best statistical player but he's just like it was just fun you know what I'm saying like he had the you knew that at any moment something really spectacular like world class could happen and that 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 is something that brings a lot of joy to the game as well yeah, the Minnesota MLS is back semifinal comes to mind. The um, New England game comes to mind with Nani. The Miami game, like you referenced, comes to mind. So, yeah, that's a great point. Let's go ahead and move on to uh, another thing that people talked about um, or, or, or something that people talked about when Pereja came in, and that was his ability to build an academy, his ability to play young players. Uh, we haven't really had enough time to look at the academy like we said he came in 
2020 offseason. It is now 2022. It's been two seasons. Uh, really the only academy players who you could attribute to him, like having a good structure, I think would be maybe Williams, who is 17. But like, I think we're three, four, five years away from seeing the outcomes of that. So I want to lean more towards the plane of the young players. This season currently we're at 27.5 year, years old, which is the 12th oldest team. But I, I'm not, and that's in terms of players who have played, not just players on the roster. Um, so he's been playing an older team. But I, I'm not using that as a as a stick to beat him with. I think he does find moments to play young players. I think we saw it with Perea when he first came in. He was 19 years old when he first came in, and he was playing. Araujo is currently 21. Perea is currently 21. He's been playing. Williams is 17. He's seen games. Halliday is 19. We've seen Bender play. He does find moments. For, um, who was it last year who played? He's not with the team anymore. Um, oh, I can't remember his name. Uh, anyways, he does find moments um, for young players. Um, for me, it's just maybe maybe they're not the right moment. So, what do you think about his his use of young players, and and maybe we can just go straight to is that a is that a pro or a con in terms of when he's using them? Well, I think one thing too, like this kind of a general statement, like if we're comparing anything that he has done to previous coaches at Orlando City, I think we can say that everything is a pro in all honesty because I think there's been just about yeah improvement in a lot of aspects if not all of the aspects um i think that what's different about oscar like in comparison to dallas and uh colorado is that you know like we're not like the new york yankees but we've and also this is just kind of how the mls has evolved but we've shown like a bit more willingness to spend money than i feel like those teams would have done so he had to rely on his youth academy which also dallas as a whole is obviously just an insanely youth-centered club, much like, you know, a Philadelphia or even, like, an Ajax or somebody, like, they often get called the Ajax of America. But um, I think that still Thomas Williams has come in and he's looked good, and I think he's done well with not overplaying those players. And Mikey Halliday as well has come in and been serviceable. He's been kind of bad, unfortunately, in his appearances here. Um, And it's, it's hard to be, like, how much of it is Oscar Pereja's fault that, maybe sometimes we're playing a player like Jordan Bender and Mikey Halliday and they look all right. And also they're kids. So like, you know, they're not going to light the world on fire, especially consistently, but like they just maybe appear to not be at that level quite yet. Like how much of that is the fault of the Academy as a whole in prepping players for the first team and how much of that is like Oscar, maybe not using them correctly. But that being said, I do think that we've tried to go younger in a lot of areas and we've, been seeing some success with the youth teams um you know like i we were talking about this earlier like the u17s are consistently beating like high quality teams i think the u19s won the generation adidas cup or that could have been the u17s as well unfortunately i'm not as knowledgeable as i should be on this but you'll also see i think we had three guys get called up to the u.s under 19s thomas williams was one of them and two other kids in the academy and Thomas Williams started today at center back against um, England, and they won 2-1, like the England under-19s, which obviously is an elite-level youth national team, especially with like the way England is producing talent right now. So I think that there are signs that 
we are looking to get better in that aspect in the future. Um, and I think that we are already seeing some players like Thomas Williams, who is developed by the club as a whole, already come in and be at least serviceable. Like he still would benefit from someone a bit more stable, like Antonio Carlos next to him. Like when we had him and Schlegel together, it was not great. Um, that's the Montreal game that I'm referring to. But I still think that there is signs that we are moving in the right direction. And I think that, um, you know, with what we had before, he kind of was given like the bones of a awful youth academy, like at the time, one of the worst in the MLS. And I think that we're at least serviceable in getting some players in now, which is more than we could say for the future. So I think that we're definitely moving in the right direction. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that overall view of it. Um, he did come in with <laughs> a dumpster fire and i'm really excited to see how mls next pro evolves as a league and how we utilize it there are some teams out there that are already like that have already promoted players and are playing them portland who have been struggling this season i think they're starting striker now scored five goals in seven games in MLS Next Pro. They promoted him, and I think he's got two goals already in MLS. And and I think um, RSL promoted a player from MLS Next Pro. So, like, people are using it as um, a way to look at the talent they've got and can they incorporate them into their teams. And And I hope we start to see that. I'm not expecting us to. In no way am I thinking we should just get a, a starting uh, center back out of MLS Next Pro since we're low on center backs right now. Like I, That's obviously not how it works. But I'd love to see how we use that. And I think Pereja is someone who does give chances to young players to play. He, he finds spots for them to play um, to, see, to see what they look like. And I'm, I'm okay with that personally. I like it. Uh, I like seeing the young guys get put out there. Yeah. And it's, it's also like you shouldn't just give a player a chance for no reason. Like, they do have to show that they're ready to yep. make that step. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wouldn't want him to just be, like you said, just pulling any random player out of OCB and throwing him out in the field if he didn't deserve it. Because obviously, like, youth development is not about just, just giving players chances. Obviously, willingness to give players chances is a good thing. But it's like knowing when to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're just blindly throwing players out there, you're really not giving them much of a chance. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, if his son starts this season, I'm going to be like, this doesn't feel fair. (laughs) (laughs) Nepotism. Yeah. Um, All right. So I'm leaning towards, you know, it's hard to say con for this, but I'm leaning towards pro for how much he plays young players and when he plays them. Yeah, I would say pro for sure. And, and, if we're looking as well as like how the academy is doing generally, it's definitely a pro, but that's not all Oscar, obviously. But in terms of implementation of players, I think he's been pretty good, much better than anything we've had before, which is going to be the case for everything, like I said. Yep. So now let's get into some uh, different topics that may not end in a pro uh, outcome. And the first is something that we've been talking about a lot on this podcast and, and Taylor and I, talked about it on the mid-season review as well because we've been seeing issues with it again this season is game management that's been the buzzword the last few weeks for me Um, we're going to go into it again because i feel like it's been a long-term thing here at orlando city 
um, that we may have struggled with. Uh, don't want to <laughs> don't want to influence your thinking, um, but yeah, in right. term, I, I think there's two game ways I, I say game management, and that is in terms of controlling games and in terms of uh, keeping our heads. And so let's first start with an, with um, controlling games that that we should have control in that we struggle to keep control in. Um, I've done it before. I'm not going to do it again. I could list off a bunch of examples of where we had control and we gave it up pretty stupidly. Um, what is your take on being able to control matches that we we shouldn't be struggling in, but we, at the end of the day, end up struggling in? Yeah, I mean, it's an issue where there are a lot of damning examples, but I think at times, less so this season and more so before, and also I can't necessarily pull out any extreme examples, but I remember us like responding okay to adversity, whether it's not like we feel we're being hard done by a referee or like we're getting like an injury crisis and some players have to kind of step up or something like that. Um, there's some some cases where it's not as bad as we might think now because of what's happened recently, but we are really showing a tendency to like lose our heads, particularly if we feel as though we've been hard done. Obviously, I'm alluding to the Austin game and stuff like that. And, you know, even like um, like the New England playoff game um, and the New York City playoff game as well, where Huon got a red card for kicking out at uh, Gary Mackay Stevens, I believe. And then I'm pretty sure it was a New England game where Mauricio just – I can't quite remember if it was like a two-footed tackle, but it was it was a red, I would say. Two-footed from behind. Um, yeah. and I think the kick from Juan was Anton Tinnerholm. Oh, was it? All right. Well, yeah. I think so, yeah. But it's like – that's just not something that you can see. Like, like I said earlier that he is like a disciplined coach, and I mean like kind of disciplined tactically, like – he sets up his players and I even think that you know like we were talking about how players don't take two to three men on at one time that could also be a coach's decision because he wants to be a bit more practical about things um but yeah when it comes to things like that like we do see a tendency for players to lose their heads and and kick out and and I think that it is a blessing and a curse you know like if we're gonna look at it as well this is a results thing and it's also like an entertainment thing as well like I do think that we have players that are undeniably quite passionate about whether it's the club, the, the fans, which obviously is an extension or a part of the club, or just they really believe in Oscar. Cause obviously players talk very highly of him. They're all quite passionate and passion can sometimes lead to like, at least in soccer, like a bit of aggression and, and rashness and moments of, I, I don't know, emotional moments, if that makes sense. And that's something that we've seen a lot, but Still, I would say that you look at players or teams abroad, which also it's hard to compare him to any of the best coaches in the world because he's a very good coach, but, you know, come on. But, like, great teams, I think, can play with that passion and can get up for games consistently without having the consistent negative side effects of it, if that makes sense. And I think that we see it a little bit too much where it's like, you know, Cesar, Mauricio, Juan, um, Schlegel has been up for it, and even, like, Janssen, like, getting – I don't think he's ever gotten a red, but like yellows for arguing with referees and stuff like oh, that. Oh, we got a red against Montreal. But yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. But it's like that hurts us, obviously. Like we saw, like, you know, the Austin game, like we had to play after the Austin game, we had to play like a kind of depleted team because of our own 
issues like Schlegel, I would say hard done. We're not going to get back into it, but it's like having to, you know, drop Cesar who's been playing consistently and playing all right because he just, you know, lost his head completely is shooting ourselves in the foot. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, first and foremost, Adam is everything. Okay. Uh, for now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll be on the lookout. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and then, I, yeah. All right. Uh, and then, uh, just a, a quick recap. We said that playing young players, uh, and the way he Oscar does that is a pro in our eyes. So, um, yeah. yeah. Um, now we're talking about my buzzword of the week, game management. And I asked Chase about, uh, I think there's two different buckets of game management. There is controlling matches that we're possibly winning in and, and really should have control of. And then there's losing our heads. And the way Taylor, the way Taylor kind of, because um, I asked him about it when we did our midseason review. The way he framed it was when we get the red mist. I think that's a perfect way of saying it. So I asked Chase about the first one, but he kind of went into the second one, which is fine. Um, so for the first one, Adam, in terms of controlling games that we should be controlling, I look at the Charlotte match this season where we're up 2-0 and Schlegel gives away a pretty stupid penalty. Um, I look at the Portland match. I look at the Philadelphia U.S. Open Cup match. Um, Austin match, which kind of has a bit of the red mist in it as well. Um, and there's countless examples in previous seasons as well. Uh, game management under Pereja has been an issue, and I want to hear your thoughts on them, on it. Yes and no. Uh, you also have, you know, the Charlotte match where we beat Charlotte because we were supposed to beat them, and they really at no point looked like they should have been on the same field as us. And, and so my question is, why are we giving away a penalty and making it something that could but go also against how, us? How are we able to beat the LA Galaxy, you know, scoring early and then butt clenching a one nil the entire way through, you know? Uh, no, I think I think that it, it does have to do with at times the team loses its head a little bit. And, you know, that comes with playing young players like Schlegel isn't particularly old. And he's, you know, someone who makes some mistakes. Andres Perea was at fault in the Portland game. Young player, not in the best form this season. You know, Araujo, stupid red card. It's all these young guys. So, you know, that pro play young players, right? This is what happens when you play young players. You also have uh, Perea is a very, very passionate person. And his teams reflect that. And I think that's a positive and a negative. You get the positive. They'll play their hearts out. They will compete to the final echo of the whistle and you know they'll see that red mist and argue with referees to their detriment uh again Ararujo, when he got that red fully deserved red kicked alex ring in the dick good job caesar leave the fucking field don't keep arguing with the refs for you know two three more minutes um you know like it, it's it's all all the pros and cons come from the same place you know there's trade-offs to everything but if you're talking tactically, I think that's one of Pereja's biggest strengths in terms of game management and that he's usually, unless he's faced with like a Red Bull style press, um, which is his tactical weakness, any other system he's faced with, he's usually able to come up with a good counter for it. And if he gets the upper, upper hand, is able to tactically keep it a lot of the times, like keep that lead. Whereas if something goes wrong, it's because a player made a dumb mistake. 
Do you follow me? Like, you know, the Poppy special one. nil. if we get, or even like holding a lead, I feel like tactically he's very good at setting up his team to be able to do that, which is a big strength of game management, making the appropriate subs to be able to do that. And and, and like guys like Sabah Mendez, who are very good at coming in, playing defense, neutralizing a, a good player in the opposition, but also being able to keep possession and, not be a liability in attack should we need to possess an attack, you know, to take some pressure off of us. And having guys like that that can do that job and him using them appropriately is a strength of his. So I think I, I think just pointing out the the weakness of his game management style is unfair. And could it be better? Absolutely it could. It could be, you know. I do think the team needs to be more disciplined, especially in those in those you know sixty minutes onward. We're up by one or two goals, you know, kind of stamp on their necks a little bit. Don't let them have anything. Absolutely, we need to be more disciplined then. Or if you know we get hard done by a referee, don't lose your head. Put your head down. Play the rest of the game. Try to get whatever you can out of it. Right. Absolutely, the the team needs to be more disciplined. And Pareja is in charge of that and needs to be instilling that discipline in his team. And it also has to go with the killer instinct that we seem to lack at times, which I think that's because if we can be up by two or three rather than one or sometimes two, then it becomes much easier to manage that end of game scenario. So, and we'll be talking about that soon. I, I, I follow you definitely. Um, I disagree on the being able to hold leads. I think there are times where obviously we do hold leads and there are, I think a lot of examples of where we give up leads. Uh, I think, I I mean, end of last season, new England revolution, we gave up the two zero. We were tired, whatever. Um, Montreal, we were up one zero and, and the game one, one, um, last season, I'm talking about the run-in. Nashville, the game with the the uh, the, the DK foul, one zero. I mean, we were up one zero. We gave up one one. This season, but, we're giving up leads. Yes, we we have given up leads. Absolutely. At Oscar a higher Pareja, rate, Oscar Pareja, coaching Orlando City, has won twice as many games as he lost. He he is over 1.5 points per game. He is winning more than he is giving up points. Are we going to lose some games? Absolutely. I would rather be the team that gives up some leads rather than the team that is never in it to have a lead to give up. You know, you're you're not always going to be perfect. And when we are a better team and when we have more leads to blow, yes, you're going to see these circumstances. And yes, it has to do with that killer instinct again that we seem to lack almost all the time. You know, even when we're beating the pants off a team, rarely do we win by three goals, right? Like, like the best teams seem to. So, yes, that is the problem there. But are we just because giving up a lead to us is giving up a goal? Teams give up goals. Giving up one goal is giving up our lead. That's the that's problem. A, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the context behind it. Chase, I assume you've been listening, but we've seen earlier in this episode, maybe not. Um, what, what do you have to say about all this? Yeah, I think what Adam was talking about earlier was like kind of maybe what I was trying to get at, but I think he just like orated it a lot better where like it is like, you know, a bit of a double-edged sword, but so we benefit from the amount of power that comes 
Um, and then it also manifests itself in negative ways as well. And I do think that it is a very interesting point that like, and I think that maybe looking at like data, I guess I don't necessarily know if they'll collect data on like how often a team is to lose points from a winning position, obviously, but we were very rarely winning game like we were winning we were very rarely winning in games before Oscar Pereja so obviously now there's going to be times where we do lose uh you know leads and stuff I think what maybe is a bit more concerning though is there can be times where once like the 60th minute or 65th minute hits you know like fitness be damned obviously that's understandable but that's also another thing about like managing a team but it's hard in MLS just because it's hard to have such a deep roster with such a strict salary um you know, strict salary restrictions, but it, it is still something where it's like a visible dip in quality. I feel like sometimes towards end of games, you know what I'm saying? And, and like you referenced a few there, some of them, it's like hard. Like I remember like the new England games specifically, like, I don't think they were playing um, that they, they didn't start Hill or boo. I'm pretty sure. And once both of them came on, you know, the MVP came in, the MVP of the league came in the field. Like it was a completely different game, which I think is understandable. But it's, it is concerning that at times, like, it used to be, I feel like we would start flat more, but I feel like we've started to come out a bit better. And then as the game goes on, we kind of dip in quality. Like an example of that is the Dallas game, which I know that we're tired, but still, like, it's just frustrating to see, like, being in a position, playing quite well, we're only managing to get a goal and not put ourselves in a better position for, you know, us to be able to kind of close out the game. Yeah, it feels like we're um, our first halves are better than our second halves. And I'm not just saying that because our first half against Dallas was better than our second half. Uh, uh, recently, it, it, it's felt like that. So, yeah. um, Chase, okay. sorry, do, do you uh, have a do you lean towards this game management? Bullet point being a pro or a con for, for Pereja. I don't know. I mean. It is just a hard question because, like Adam said, like there are very there there are things that stick out in our mind as poor instances, and there are maybe a little bit more than you would like to see. I don't know. I guess maybe I am kind of leaning to a con in this scenario, but it's not like end of the world type issue. You know what I'm saying? It's just something mm-hmm. to be to be mindful of, something like that. Yeah. Adam, let, let me be clear. My position is not that he is the best at it in the league or the world or anything. I'm saying he's not bad at it. it, it t- coaches that are bad at game management don't win more than they lose. That's the flat out fact. He's the best coach we've ever had at it. Not saying much, but he's not bad at it. It's not a con of, of who he is. In fact, I think that his preferred system of of the the coordinated pressing and the and the strong defense and the the not taking risks is, is built for managing a lead he just needs to be able to get that lead more reliably and by a bigger margin but in terms of managing the game just like how the game is progressing i think he does better that than some people on this podcast might give him credit for I think he gets away with it a bit for uh, because MLS. I, I I really do. Yes, he coaches. Um, in I MLS. am some people. <laughs> Gavin is some people. Oscar Pereira coaches in MLS, and holding him to a European standard 
is right now well, for MLS unrealistic. I don't I don't really think he did that well in Tijuana, did he? Um just, just I think the, I, they were mid-table. I mean, it was first season with the team. He was there for one year. Fair. I don't think they were bad. Anyways, um y'all know where I stand. I think his game management is could be better. How about that? Um Going on the back of that, though, Adam, you brought up a really good point in terms of his game management is that if we had a killer instinct in the players we have, we could, you know, scoring the chances we create, we could really, really not be having that discussion at all because we'd be winning games 3-1, 4-1, 4-2, whatever. That's what I'm saying. If we're scoring two to three goals a game rather than one to two, we're honestly probably at two points a game. So let's talk offense. Um, Attacking-wise, I think we've seen improvements on last last coach is we had. Um, I think we've seen a more cohesive unit. Um, I went and looked at the numbers, and they're a bit interesting. So 2019, we had the seventh worst XG in, in that season. Not a surprise. That is James O'Connor. 2019 is James O'Connor. 2020, we had the 14th best 2021. So that's, you know, playoff level, basically, top 14. Uh, 2021, we had the ninth worst XG per per 90. And 2022, we are currently the fourth worst. It is not all XG. Do not get me wrong. I know it is not all XG. And we're currently in the middle of the season. Because um, do, do I do think there have been... Do you have the stats for shots taken or chances created or something like that? Um, like I post- do not. What were you saying, Chase? Like post-shot XG, like that would be kind of interesting. Do you know what I mean? No, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just saying pure like, shots created because I think we're not taking enough shots. Oh, I got you. Yeah, so, so let's talk offense and the different facets of it. Building up offense, transition offense, pressing offense, you know. Adam, what's your take on our offensive style and our seemingly inability to uh, have that killer instinct? I like the way you put that. So we're talking about Oscar Pereira, right? That's the the focus of this. Yes, sir. I think he doesn't really care about how the offense looks a little bit. I think he's much more focused on being defensively solid and you know playing the press. And I think he loves cheap goals. And we've talked about cheap goals versus expensive goals a little bit before. A cheap goal is is a, a corner that gets headed in. A cheap goal is a a press creates a turnover and you know one two and it's in the back of the net. Expensive goal is like that that I think nineteen pass sequence that we had uh, a few weeks ago. Um, who is oh, I already forgot who we scored against? Car versus Columbus. Awful. Yes, Car versus Columbus. Uh, that that's an expensive goal right there. Oscar Pereira loves cheap goals and I think his philosophy is that if he has the right guys out there and if they press well enough and you know if they practice good enough set pieces and all that and you have guys like Pato Torres Pereira who are fantastic at at set piece delivery which is a strength I don't get me wrong I like that we're scoring so much on set pieces just don't know how much how sustainable it is I think he thinks if I give up one goal a game max which currently we're not doing but if I give up one goal a game max, I can get one or two goals, you know, on the other end of it just by frustrating my opponent. And I think that's kind of his philosophy. 
And that's where I think Oscar Pereira falls short. Chase, what say you? Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said earlier, like we do play a lot from wide areas a lot. Um, and just crosses and headers are notoriously awful if you're going to look at the game through a purely statistical margin, which, you know, we have a striker who's very capable of playing in the air. So that's going to be something that is one of his strengths. But even still, it's not something that you want to be like kind of your sole point of, uh, of attack. Um, and even like the Dallas game where we said like the first half we played a lot better, the goal came off of a set piece. You know what I'm saying? It's, and it's important to be able to pop up from a set piece. And I think that we've definitely improved in that capacity versus, you know, previous times. Like I remember thinking like a couple years ago, how it's just like, we literally would just never score off of a corner. And, you know, e- even with knowing that like a goal off a corner is a rarity in soccer, we would score, score even less. I felt like, um, and yeah, I think that what Adam said as well is quite good where it's like, we are just not, you know, not that you just want to be firing off from all angles, but like if we have a bit of space outside of the box, I wouldn't mind taking like a bit of a pot shot every now and again and just seeing what happens because it's, it's something that you said like Raul Ruiz Diaz or somebody like that is capable of doing and is given the green light to try and it comes off every now and again and just, just pepper in the goalkeeper as well. Like, I mean, it's, it's not pretty all the time and it's not like the most tactically, uh, visionary vision whatever like it's not the smartest thing to do all the time like obviously like Pep Guardiola or someone like that has very distinct ways that he would like to create chances and I think to an extent Oscar has distinct ways that he would like to create chances like I think we like to try to get to the byline and cut back and we like to try to you know win fouls and be able to swing stuff in but that's just like Adam said it's just not sustainable and that's not even just us saying that like it feels like it's not sustainable like tactically it just is not sustainable or um Statistically, rather, it's just not sustainable. So we have to show that bit more of a killer instinct. We have to show diversity, I guess, in ways that we create chances, which maybe we don't do all the time. And I think some of that is maybe the players that we have at our disposal right now. Like, I kind of think we lack that sort of Hani Mukhtar or like uh, Luciano Acosta even type player that's going to pick up the ball and run at the defenses centrally and kind of have an unlocking pass like... I mean, I guess maybe we do have that player like in somebody like Faku, but you just have to I mean, get, Mauricio not being used that way. is a very fancy eight playing the 10. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that's one of the big like conversations that we had before where it's like his role in the buildup is that of like an eight. Like he, I almost feel like if maybe we tried to get a more like um, expansive or dynamic, I guess, attacking midfielder and then put Mauricio next to someone who's going to do a lot of defensive work, like that would have some questions of the defense. Um, in terms of like shielding the back line. But I think that that would be a really good way to use him as well because he's just not going to be that type of player that runs at defenses and, and unlocks stuff. He's more of just a ball progressor and a very good one nonetheless. But yeah, we just don't have consistent ways of scoring goals that would show us, you know, that would look good on the stat sheet, I guess you could say. And that's something that is kind of concerning. And that's also something that can be a bit boring at time to time. Yeah. Adam, when you're sitting there saying um, you don't think he he cares about offense, like obviously he he, obviously cares. he cares. Yes, obviously yes. he cares if we score goals or not. I but don't think the way we do it, yeah, he doesn't care how it comes at all, and he doesn't care if it looks pretty or not. Yep, I I, I think you're right. Um, 
I, I like that. And I think he, he does focus defensively. And then he says, okay, when we, when we get to the attacking third, these are kind of the patterns of play, but you know, you know, get these crosses in, get to the wide areas, try and get those wide overloads. Third man runs down the, down the right with Juan or, or Urso or something like that. And, and then he, you know, that's kind of the patterns and then do whatever you can to get the ball in the net. But like, in terms of, is that a good offensive strategy? I don't think so. Statistically, like you were no. saying, Chase, it doesn't work. I went ahead and looked at the post-shot XG. Um, this season, we're actually improved from the regular. So we're at 12th worst versus 4th worst. 2021. That, that makes sense because we've our record is better than the underlying numbers would suggest. Yeah. 2021, exact same. Ninth worst for both. 2020, we had the worst post-shot expected goals in the entire league, which is interesting to think about. Uh, very, very interesting. I didn't look at 2019. Um, so offensively, uh, I think it's fair to say that we're poor. Because at the end of the day, I think some people overrate, like, or sorry, underrate how hard it is to score a goal. I think we hear a lot, if we just would have scored this chance, or if we just would have scored, we had three chances that we could have scored. We would have won 3-1. And it's like, yeah. And there's a reason that soccer is a low-scoring sport. There are teams who have 10 chances to score and score once, maybe. It is a very, everything has to be perfect. The every the, the team has to other team has to mess up. You have to get every touch right. It has to be at a good weight. You have to get your shot right. The goalkeeper has to be in the right position. The ball can't be blocked. There are so many aspects moving at a high speed. Uh, even the ball bouncing a millimeter too high and you whiff your shot because of it because you weren't expecting it to bounce that high. I think people underrate how difficult it is to score a goal. So when you're creating three chances a game and then you score one and people say, oh, well, we had three chances. So we really like Oscar Pereja's system got us the ability to score three goals and we should have won the game three zero. It's on the players. I look at the coach and say, why are we only creating three chances a game? Example, Toronto match. That was very difficult to watch. We ended up winning the game, but we only created two or three chances, ended up scoring a cheap goal off a corner. Um, so for me, offensively, I lean con. I think um, we need to improve offensively. Uh, we need to create more chances. And I don't see that happening under Pereja. I'm not saying that means he needs to be sacked, but I, I just don't see that changing under him anytime soon. Or Adam, uh, you look, I, I yeah. think he needs to get lucky. And just having the players figure it out for him. Because how many times have we had this discussion on the podcast where we try to figure out our offense for Pereja? <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't do that with a great offensive coach. It starts at right back, y'all. <laughs> right. And, and, and that's the thing. And this is going to go into another thing we're going to talk about, which is using the players correctly. And not even in their roles because i think he has mostly everyone in the correct role other than we don't have a true 10 on the roster um and the closest one i think we have is faku torres um 
But other than that, I think he's mostly okay with everyone in the role. Just how those roles are used offensively is the thing that I that that's sticking for me. Is we Huan has had a very up and down season, to put it kindly, and we'll put it kindly because we're not talking about him. Um, but relying on Huan as our our option A of the attack at times is questionable. Again, to put it kindly. And then we have a guy, so I referenced that we're not taking enough shots, right? We got a DP attacker, Erchan Kara, who led, I think, the Austrian Bundesliga in shots per game. He was either one or two, I forget exactly. He took over four shots a game, which doesn't seem like that much, but it's a lot. Like, it's a lot, guys. <laughs> four shots a game is bonkers. We got it, we got a shot monster. And then we don't give him the appropriate service to be a shot monster. And he he's a guy that scores via volume and, and create. And if we have 10 chances a game, we'll put away two or three rather than, you know, relying on him to be clinical and putting away two of our three chances. He's not that guy. And if you look, if we watch his game, sometimes he missed easy chances. He's not the guy that's going to put away every chance. He's the guy that if you give him four chances, it all, almost doesn't matter how good the chances are he's going to put one of them away you know he it might be the banger from from 28 yards out it might not be the center he might miss the same center in the game but he's going to score the banger if you give him four shots that's the kind of player he is and i don't think we're playing necessarily to that strength in the offense baku torres a little bit starting to get in the box now but he hasn't been playing as direct as i think we needed him to be because he's been almost allergic to the box uh, up until these last couple games, he has been very, very scared to venture inside of it and take those dangerous touches and get the ball in there and be able to play off of Vershankara. I think we need to be playing much more direct, much less, you know, just knock the ball down outside and try and pass it in the net because that's not the players we have. You know, get these guys like Torres and Kara that are capable of spectacular things and let them just try to do the spectacular thing until two of them go in. You know, yep. it, it doesn't have to be a different system. It doesn't have to be different roles. It's just how much do you use these different roles? And I think he's trying to rely on the thing that he he's had this entire time in Huan rather than shifting to something new. Yep, uh, I agree. Chase, I, I assume you agree that kind of our attack as a whole has been a con. Yeah, it's a con because at times it could be unpleasing to watch and also just because statistically it's even when it does come off it's like points to it's not being sustainable yeah um, so let's move oh sorry right. no you're good all right i was just going to move us on to what adam brought up which is using players correctly um i i, I wrote down four um or, or five sorry i wrote down five uh you'd think i know how to count but uh there's de there's definitely more players we could talk about, but I wrote down Nani. Did we use him correctly? Pereira, are we using him correctly? Carlos, are we using him correctly? Torres and Juan, are we using these players, these players who have a high impact on our squad, on our team? Are we using them correctly? You don't have to answer to them specifically, but what are your thoughts on the roles we're giving players, on the positions we're putting them in? I think Adam brought up a great point with Kara in shooting. Um... So take that where you will, but the way Pereja uses his players. I think that you can run down the line. and Like some players, like I think our center backs, 
obviously they're being played at the center back on the team sheet, but in terms of how they're being used in the game, I think is all right. Like we said that they're kind of weak maybe if they're having to defend in open space, but they're not consistently put in that position, I would say. Um, and, you know, they're both good with their feet, so we utilize that as well. I think Huan, for everything that he is, you know, we he's utilized quite well because he's given the license to kind of go up and down the field and obviously with his ability, his, his pace, and also like his ability to get to the byline. Um, normally that works well, though his delivery is a bit questionable. So the fact that he is one of our biggest chance creators is a bit of an issue. Um, I don't think Facundo is necessarily being used well. Like he was like the jewel of Penuel or whatever people were calling him. And that was when he, I feel like was given a bit more of a license to get on the ball and try to make something happen by himself. And now he's just not really gelling as well as you would hope. Um, I think that Pere- I think Pereira, like we say how he's kind of not necessarily a 10, he's more of an eight but I kind of think he maybe kind of does play like an eight. We just kind of play without a 10 at times. So I think maybe he in some ways is being utilized right. But if you look in relation to the squad, you maybe would want him to do a little bit more. I mean, we don't have a 10 though. So it's obvious that Oscar Pereira wants to play with a 10 and he's shoehorning who he thinks the best fit is in there. I can't really fault him for that because you know, of the guys and who he wants his tend to be, especially a guy that is going to play defense, it's Pereira. It's it, the the Pereira ten is not Torres. It's Pereira, but we don't we don't have one. It, it's you know, honestly, it's a guy like Luciano Acosta that he would really want, but you know, we don't have that guy, and that's all. That's more on the front office, I think, than Pereira. Yeah. Uh, with- I do think he shoehorns into his system a bit. I even think with Nani, I would say that we didn't use him 100% correctly. And and I don't want to use that as a anti-Pareja thing. I think that's just coaches in general. I think every coach has their players that I they mean, shoehorn have, into their system. I have a theory that Pareja and Nani didn't really like each other. I wouldn't be surprised. Pareja's never really had the big stars. I mean, I think they worked well together professionally. And I think they were both on the same page that, hey, we both want to win. And we will both do what it takes to win. I don't think they liked each other. Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting theory. Um, I don't have any evidence to the contrary or to the positive. but um, I have a very small bit of evidence that I cannot you know, say or publish just me I having mean, talked to someone. But, yeah. I've heard some, some things as well behind the scenes, but not between them two, but I don't have hard evidence. Certainly no. not to say this is not bad. You don't have to like everyone you, you work with. This is not to say anything bad about Nani or Oscar. Pareja. Like I said, they had a good professional relationship. They were never, they, they were never anything other than professional. I just don't think they liked each other. And and I think sometimes you could kind of see where some stuff came from. Like when, when Nani got benched a couple times and, you know, we thought he might've played or he might've gotten taken out earlier. I mean, he might've been restricted to a certain role or something. And yeah. that was Preha saying, no, you're, you're just another player. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, in terms of to the other players, obviously Nani would disagree. <laughs> in terms of the other players I listed, I listed Pereira. I think 
for the most part. He plays him fine. Um, I like Chase's idea of, or maybe it was yours, Adam. I don't remember at this point. Uh, having a 10 next to Pereira as an 8. I think it was yours, Chase's. Sorry. Um, I like that. Uh, but I think he's he's fine. Uh, Carlos, I think we're using him fine. Torres, y'all know my thoughts on him. I don't think we're using him um, as efficiently as we could. Juan, we're using him correctly, as in the player himself. But the way we use him and the amount of times we use him and... Um, how much we lean on him, I disagree with how he's being used. In terms of using our players correctly, how do you judge Adam? Is that a a pro of Pareja? Is he is that something that's positive from him, or, or is it a con? Is it a negative? I think it's a pro. I think that he again the the standard we're measuring him against is, is other MLS coaches. I think he's pretty good at that. He doesn't. Yes, he has his way he wants to play. But he's not, you know, hard and fast married to a particular formation or absolutely this is my system. We've seen kind of variations of his system over the years in his different stops and at Orlando City. And I think he's willing to work with his squad and kind of see what he has and take advantage of of their strengths a little bit. I think where we see players playing out of position a little bit is offensively more than defensively. Defensively, I think he's spot on. I don't think I've ever really questioned an offensive decision Oscar Pereja has made in terms of like personnel or, oh no, I have once, Tesho at wing back, but that was a desperate situation and was very dumb. Other than that, <laughs> that was the the game we, we threw away the lead against New England when Hill came on at 60 and destroyed us. Um, if, if, you know, not like that's burned into my mind forever. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Right. Other than that, I don't, you know, I can't think of any other defensive personnel decisions Preha has made that I, you know, you can obviously say, oh, well, that's not going to work. Offensively, we can and do question him, but I don't necessarily think, I agree with you, Gavin. I don't necessarily think he's playing a lot of players out of position, just that he's not necessarily using the those positions in the most efficient manner on offense. Chase. I think that there are some other things that are like a question as well. Like, you know, like Benji being played out on the wing, but I guess it's kind of like, where else would he be? Like, I think that there are some things that you can pull out and question, but I also think that there are, especially across the back line, like, like Adam said, like it's pretty, pretty all right, pretty good, pretty solid. So kind of similar to like the last one, how I said it was a con, but it's not like awful. I would say that this one can be a pro, but it's not like a hard pro, if that makes sense. Yep. That's where I, I lean. I think there are examples of both. Um, across the back line, I could say past few seasons, it feels like Moutinho was someone who we would push very high. And then defensively, he would be out of position and he would have a lot of running to do and he would struggle. This season, he's had a lot more of a constricted space to work in and he's looked great. And it's like, well, why did it take two years to, to figure that out? He's figured it out, so that's fine. Um, in the midfield, you think about Araujo. He came in. He's a six. We figured that out. He's doing really good at it. Um, well done, Oscar. So you you can look at the, the pros and the cons. We've listed a bunch. I lean towards pro as well. Um, 
But yes, there are examples of poor ones. I did have defensive quality, kind of similar to the attack, the the defense as well. Um, I don't want to go deep into that. Um, I think we can just all agree that it's a pro. I think our defense has vastly improved under him. Uh, that, and, that's his best quality. Yeah. yeah. So I, it was just something I put down since I put the attack. Um, so so we've got defense here, but didn't we're running low on time. Um, so didn't want to go into that last one here and let's do this quickly before we get into listener questions chase i'm going to start with you improvement in players specifically so are we seeing our players get better over time i would say my gut instinct is yeah like i think you know who won in comparison to because who who one was here for like a year with James O'Connor, right? Like he came in during that year, right? If I'm not mistaken, but uh, who one was mistaken. in in 2019? I thought yeah. he, he was here for O'Connor. So I think like who one was like fun or whatever, and he certainly had similar qualities. But I think that he at times, and I mean now, I guess he's regressed a bit. But that is with any player. I think that who one for a while became one of the better fullbacks in the league, at least in an attacking quality. Um, I think Zhao has improved a lot in his first time. I think both of our center backs even have improved, and they came in at like a pretty pretty high level. Like I think Janssen was still playing all right, despite like maybe the numbers not looking great. But that's just because he was he was. Really I think Janssen has improved leaps and bounds under Pereja. Yeah, and and that that also has something to do with like the midfield protecting them a lot better because like defensively, like if you look at defensive numbers, it's all it's not all about the back line. It's also like how they're being protected by the midfield. But, you know, I think that, um, I think Daryl DK obviously is like the prime example of this. Like he came in and people were pretty high on him, but he was a fifth round pick and he became a player that for a while was like talked about getting sold for like $15 million. Um, And that's not without, I would say some tutelage probably from Oscar. Um, It's going to be interesting to see someone like Facundo, how they turn out. But I would say all around, players have definitely gotten better under Oscar. Um, and that is only more certain for me when you compare it to like how much players were stagnating and even regressing in um, previous regimes. Adam, where do you lean on all this? I absolutely agree. I, th- I think that it, it's an, it's a little bit of an odd topic, odd topic because well, on on one hand, Preha is known for a guy that is very good at developing, especially young players, and you know, getting the best out of his players, which I think we've seen. Uh, guys like not the obvious guys like like um, like Janssen and DK, but also guys like Jean Moutinho, who I think when we traded for Jean Moutinho, he was inconsistent at LAFC. He was inconsistent for Orlando City, and he's morphed into this player that I think we could say. It, hell, I wanted to get rid of him before the season because I didn't think he was reliable. And some of that is injuries, but also it was his play. And this season, he almost hasn't put a foot wrong. He's steadily gotten better. So Sebas Mendez, same thing. He was kind of, we bought him. We had some high hopes for him. He's a little middling, and then he steadily got better. And obviously, we haven't seen him this season as much because of Araujo. But I, when we have seen him, he's been pretty good. And last season, he was awesome, you know, except for the part where he was injured. You have Chris Mueller, who has, you know, provided some cool moments, but didn't kind of put it all together until he got with Oscar Pereja. You have, but then you have Rodrigo Schlegel, who's uh, gotten a lot better since he's been here. 
you have you have plenty of guys who have improved. Now you also have guys like Andres Perea, who this is the other end of it. It's still on the player. And Perea's current form, which has been better, though he still has some brain farts and some some not so great games. But Andres Perea is a guy that we had really high hopes for that hasn't necessarily panned out. You're not going to bat a thousand. It's not going to happen. It's still on the player. So we can say, you know, sometimes we can nitpick, say, oh, this guy didn't always work out and Juan's regressed and, and all that. But I would I would definitely lean towards if you look at when we get a player versus how their career arc is with us, I think relatively few players have gotten worse in their times with Orlando City. Even keeping veterans at their same level like Urso, Urso could have easily seen age-related regression. And he, other than, you know, obvious minutes, he's getting tired when he plays a lot of minutes, which he does. Um, but other than that, his skills have not regressed. His re- effectiveness as a player when rested, or at least when not dead tired, has not regressed. So I think that that is a credit to Preya and helping his players figure out how to be effective. Yeah, I, that's where I'm leaning, Adam. We as a team, the players either stay the same or are of a very consistent, similar quality or we've seen some improvements in certain aspects. So the only one I can really say where I've seen um, the same example would be Juan Crossing. We've seen no improvement in that. clearly is going to take some black magic miracle (laughs) to fix that. Right, so so that's the big one, right? So so I, I would even push back on that a tiny bit. So Juan under O'Connor, you we would see him basically close his eyes and hope, right? We've seen him pick his head up under Oscar Pereja. We've seen him transition from close eyes and hit and hope to pick his head up, try to pick out a pass and miss. So, I mean, fair enough, but still, the outcome remains the even same. The outcome remains the same, but at least there was a coaching attempt made there is my point. Exactly. Yeah, there's really no instances of a player getting worse. I can't think of one. Even like Perea's super young. I wouldn't even say he's gotten worse. He's just been inconsistent like young players are. Um, maybe Mueller in his last season, but there's uh, off the field aspects to that that you can't really attribute to Pereja. Um, it was clear he was having some issues with the contract situation. Um Benji's kind of been the same. Uh, maybe statistically, Benji's been worse, like less goals, but like he's not. He's, he's definitely a better worse. defender now than he was. Yeah, yeah, his defensive play. So like, I think we're either the same or we're seeing slight improvements. Um, we're not seeing massive, massive, massive amounts of pro- improvements, but I think we're seeing some slight improvements. So for me, keeping that level the same is a pro. Chase, uh, I assume you agree. Mm-hmm. And Adam, it sounded like you agree. So we're going to leave it at that in terms of improvement of players. So we now have in ultimatum, we have five pros and two cons with Pereja. His style of play, his fair. ability to play young players, using the players in their positions, his defense, 
and his improve, improvement of players. We had listed as pros. We listed cons as game management and our attacking output and our attacking quality, basically. So let's get into some listener questions. The first one comes from the group chat. Do you think he has adjusted his coaching? Uh, not necessarily his style, but his strategy of coaching. And then there's a follow-up to that. So, Chase, I'll start with you. Do you think he's adjusted like his strategy of how he approaches coaching? I mean, I don't know. I kind of don't necessarily think, like if we look at when he first came in versus now, I don't necessarily if his approach is like drastically different. Um, it's kind of changed a bit, obviously, as the roster's gone on and you have to make minor adjustments, but it's not necessarily like he's completely revolutionized his style, I would say. Um, it's the same themes, right? We, we yeah. defensively set up. We've got the things we went through with the style of play part. Those yeah. are that you went through. Those are consistent, I think. So I think yeah. that's fair. Uh, Adam, the follow-up to that was how much input do you think Pereja has on new players? I would say some. Uh, I think he is comfortable deferring to Muzi and Rico, uh, given their track record of giving him players that he likes and bringing in good talent, and even on a budget, being able to outfit him with a team that has proven to be capable of being competitive. Uh that being said, it would be very, very, very stupid to not consult your coach at all. <laughs> like, hey, we're thinking about the, bringing this player in. Oh, I'm sure he's fine. Yeah, just do whatever you want. And that That's not happening either. I, I Obviously, he's getting an email with some video like, hey, we're thinking about this game. This, bring this guy in. What do you think of him? Does he fit what you're trying to do here? I think that's probably the amount. And then they have 25 meetings on it. Yes. No, but I, I think that's probably the level of involvement. I can't imagine he's spending a ton of time on player acquisition more than like, you know, being informed and green lighting certain moves and maybe hopping on a phone call if he needs to. But I think I, I think that's about it. And, you know, just to touch on the him adjusting and adapting to a certain amount, I would think he would tell you himself he's always trying to learn. And if you're not constantly trying to learn and, you know, making these small adjustments, you're going to be left behind, which is why he's been able to be successful for so long. But you also, he would tell you, is you, you have to stay true to yourself and have an identity or you will also not be successful. And I think definitely something that we lacked before Pereja was an identity. And at least we, now we can say, hey, this is kind of how who we is. Yeah, who who he is and who we is. And and at least we have that. So that's something that you're not necessarily looking to make wholesale changes as long as it's not completely broken. You're trying to make those minor adjustments like Chase said and you know try and 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 calibrate your machine to work at its maximum efficiency rather than changing it out every time you don't win every game by by three goals. Yeah, I have to say I think We've seen examples of players who maybe he wouldn't have um, a, a big say on. Um, I'm looking at Alvarado, looking at Ayas, um, looking at Vanderwater. Uh, players like that who maybe he was like, yeah, I'll take them. I wouldn't go out of my way to get them. But if you're getting them and, and they seem like 
they fit, then I'll use them. Um, like in terms of like what you say, Chase, building a MLS squad is an art um, in terms of getting the right player at the right price at the right time in their career. But and all then that you fun see, stuff. like, Jean Moutinho was here before him, but Jean Moutinho is almost certainly one of those guys that Preha would be like, okay, bring him in if you want. And then he cemented his spot. Yep. Like, and, and sometimes then, it works out. Yeah. Similar to um, uh, who was. Who was here before? Oh, Tesho. Who's he's like one of his players, Tesho. Um, but but then I look at this summer or winter. We're not in England. Um, Facundo Torres is a winger that is very Pereja esque winger. Urchin Carr is a very Pereja esque striker, and Araujo is a very Pereja esque defensive midfielder. I feel like he had a part to say in those transfers. Um. Maybe a little, maybe it's, maybe it's like, hey, if we're bringing in a, a big name player or a DP or, or um, an expensive player, you're going to be really involved. If we're bringing in a squad player, we've got it. And we just need you to just say, yeah, I'm fine with that. You know what I mean? I, I think that might be how that goes. And I, I think that's a good um, balance. Um Next question here at FL Data Dude Chase. Uh, he says a lot of pros on Ledger for sure. Because uh, I put in the tweet asking for questions that um, we're looking at pros and cons. He says to me, he tends to get stuck on certain players like a lot of coaches do. Why does Perea continue to get time when Mendez maybe deserves more time? Why Urso Perea over? maybe a Mulraney and Urso in terms of Urso moving to the midfield. I feel like he doesn't always experiment enough and try other players. Uh, what do you, what's your take on that chase? I think it's hard because coaches would like to establish some level of consistency. Um, and I think kind of, that's what he's going for. Like he sees somebody like a junior Urso, and, um, even like in, I mean, I guess, I don't know. Andres Pereira obviously hasn't been playing, like, he's getting playing time consistently, but he hasn't been consistently putting in good performances, if that makes sense. But I think some coaches just do have players that they, for whatever reason, see as someone who could potentially have a big, like, overhaul in terms of what they can provide to the team. And and this is, like, a bit of a lazy answer. It's just hard to really know what that is because, like, obviously that would be a question that only Oscar can answer. Um, and it, it's something that I think that will pose that question as well, because it's like, you know, I think Sebos looks good most of the time when he plays in all honesty. Like I, I, every time I see him, I'm questioning why he is such a bit part player now. And then Perea, who maybe he's been playing better, but he even had like a few mistakes that I, I think he had a mistake that led to a goal, like in the Dallas game even. And, and that's not something it was that the first goal. Yeah. Yeah. That's not something that you know, that's, that's not one of the only times that's happened. Like he's, he's struggled before. So I don't know, like it's, it, it is weird. And I think that that could be pointed towards like a bit of a question, but it's also like Perea is twenty twenty one whatever, and has looked good in the past. So maybe he's just trying to let him play through whatever rut he's in. But I do think that there can be instances pointed to where like, he's not really utilizing players that we would think in, in the way that we would, but also we don't have all the information. You know, it's hard to see what's going on in training. And it's hard to see, you know, what he values personally as a coach. So 
I think I think part of the issue specifically with like Urso, the three Urso, Moraini, Perea, right? Which two are you gonna play? Um, Mendez doesn't factor into that equation because he doesn't play either of those positions, uh, either the the eight or the 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 right wing. Um it, Preha doesn't see Mendez as an option there because that is even though we see them as oh central central midfielder defensive midfielder right it, not the same position he's playing six and that's it that's the only role that Sebas Mendez will play for this team and I honestly kind of agree a little bit I think he could play an eight but he is much better as a six um, Perea he views as an eight and Urso has obviously demonstrated his ability to um, to play the right wing a kind of hybrid. Um, and, and it really comes down to basically, so Urso's locked into there. He's the one you're going to have on the field in some position. Urso versus Mulraney, Urso's been very effective on the right wing, right? I, I have no problems with how he's played there. It's just to give you a, 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 a view into what Oscar's probably thinking. Ur, Urso's an effective player there, so you have no problem with Urso at right wing. Who do you want on the field more, Andres Perea or or Jake Moraney? He obviously Perea has been in the system longer. He knows how to do the job of the eight in the system to a T. He makes boneheaded mistakes sometimes, but he knows the system. He's been around. Uh, Oscar trusts him more. He's been the guy at the end of games to come in and try and help kill off a game. Um, Oscar views him as the safer option, and especially in a time where the last week, few weeks, we've seen red cards. We've had midweek games. Oscar's going to go with the guy he trusts. And that's how you have to look at this. Not why isn't he experimenting? Because he thinks if he experiments, he's going to lose the game for sure. Now we have obviously lost the game. Like, you know, like we lost against Dallas, but you're not going in thinking that you're going in thinking, how can I get at least points from this game? Right. And if you're experimenting all the time, you're probably going to lose more games than you win. So he's looking for more rainy to show him more in training and, you know, in the game minutes that he gets before he trusts him in honestly, what would be a new formation and, um, and to bring home at least one point in a, in a situation when you need it. Yeah. There's two kind of phases to that answer, Adam. And it's, I think it's do the players fit the, the role that, this question is looking at um and then there's kind of like the wider answer of does he want to experiment in general um he has to pick the right times to experiment but uh, uh, honestly in these in this example Mulraney for me he's an out and out left winger he is a left winger I know he can play on the right I know he's done it before I don't want to see him on the right the way we use a right winger, I don't want to see him there. He would not succeed, I promise you. He he needs to sprint up and down. He's a vertical player. He's got a good touch. He can whip in a cross on that left foot. That's all I want to see from him. I don't want to see him cutting in He's and trying to dribble past players. Like, no, just run forward, please. Um, he's a B-Tech Gaston Gonzalez who can't play defense. <laughs> it's it's that simple for me. Which, again, so, Junior Urso is playing defense. Andres Perea is playing defense. Jake Moraney probably not playing much defense. Now we yeah. saw when he get he got in, he was instructed, "Hey, when d- ball comes to your side, you're getting back because you play for Oscar Perea now." But he's not particularly good at it. He gets back. He just he he's not a an able bodied get back player defender. Um, in terms of like experimenting, I, 
I think we've seen some some experiments this season. They're just hard to to see. So uh, we did, or I did, the rewatch of the New York Red Bulls game, and after the water break, Araujo dropped into the middle of a back three for about five to ten minutes um, because what we were trying wasn't working. I think we were one zero down by that time. What we were trying wasn't working. Araujo was instructed to go back into the back three and then uh we we did it for about five seven eight minutes and then slowly but surely he started creeping up the field and he was basically a center defensive midfielder again um so we've seen experiments like that we've seen the three five two in the the tampa bay rowdies game um I, i think we've seen some experimentation um he just picks and chooses his moments when he feels comfortable doing it um and then he does tend to get stuck on players that was a criticism in dallas and he's a coach all coaches do it like you said uh fl data dude all right um at michael db underscore uh chase michael says tons of positives one thing that's been on my mind recently is I feel that we've lost a little of the protagonist attitude of 2020. Some games were just plain old flat or we lose momentum after the first 20 minutes. Energy overall seems very different. Or, sorry, it seemed different in 2020. Uh, what's your take on that? I actually would agree. Like, I think I've always heard this like protagonist thing. And elements of me can like kind of see where he's coming from at times. But I also think just because like, like when I would think of a protagonist, like sure, sometimes we like to get on the ball and hold it, but we're not like being so aggressive going forward and like trying to create chances. Like that's something that we talked about for a lot earlier. And I could be kind of misunderstanding what he means by protagonist, but it is just like, we do have like games where, like, I think that maybe, like, we can look a bit better in various phases of play, but once we get into that final third, it's like, we are flat. Like, we're really kind of almost without ideas at times. Um, so I've, necess- I've, not, I've never necessarily completely agreed, I guess, with the kind of protagonist mindset, because, like I always say, he's a bit more pragmatic, and he's just results-based. And he, like, it's hard for me to be like, you know, we were saying that, like, a lot of our goals at least statistically seem to come from luck and it's hard for me to say that we are the protagonist if that's something that we're relying on you know what i'm saying like if i were to think of a protagonist i would think of like you know diego rossi carlos vea lafc type teams not necessarily what we're showing not that like we're completely dead and i think some of our attackers have looked good but we're just not protagonistic in that sense where we're constantly trying to uh you know go at the other team's throat like we're a bit more patient i guess almost like rudderless in some ways at times like that's a bit harsh but yeah like the protagonist thing is not something that if it ever was here uh i see now you know hey 2020 was his first season players are always going to be up for it in the in a coach's first season i'm not saying we've gotten stale but we're what we're midway through our third season under pareja now it's the energy is going to be a bit different. We we've already kind of outlined some of his cons um, and, and flaws as a coach that we didn't see because we didn't have enough evidence as fans to see yet. So we can criticize and then we can praise and and 
and players know him a bit more and they know what they can get away with on the training pitch and they know what they can get away with on the the match pitch and then what he's going to really get at them for and you kind of flow into the motions a bit and this is why coaches don't stay around for seven eight years much longer you know coaches churn and and because teams can, can get stale i'm not saying we need to we are getting stale or we need to get rid of him right away but i don't want to see Pereja here for 10 years i, I want to see us churn i want to see us get a new coach and and kind of build that momentum and that new energy um i mean i i would love to see him here for 10 years because if he's here for 10 years he's He's got to have won something, Fair. right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to see him I'll, here for ten years at the current. I'll take, I'll, I'll, I'll take, I'll take like a trophy or two that'll give him that much goodwill. And then if if he if he plays out all of it, then fine, we got a trophy. Yeah, um, I don't um, want to see P- uh, him turn into Peter Vermees. No, absolutely not. Yeah, I I I got you there, but uh, I mean, SKC's got uh, open cup and a shield from him, right? Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. I mean, should I take that? <laughs> Better examples like the DC coach that was there for like 10 years. Oh, like. Ben Olsen. He was there oh, forever. Yeah. And they had like two good seasons because of Wayne Rooney. Yeah. yeah. And I think so they won an a, open cup. But yeah. Here's what I think Oscar means by protagonist. And, uh, you know, I'm a notorious lover of this message. And and it's no secret. I love Oscar Breha. It, ever watch a Burnley game and uh, those of you who yes. have including me I'm very sorry for you wanting to gouge your eyes out for 90 minutes um so yeah you could say that Burnley is a defensive team right and you could say that Orlando City is a defensive team they are not the same they are not the same in in, in this slice remember in like 2017 18 uh when we would play Atlanta and we would just bunker for 90 minutes and hope we get like a cheap counterattack goal or just they would like just fuck up or something and that like we could somehow hold them in there. And we always lost because of, that was a, a pipe dream. It was like watching a bad Burnley. Remember those days? We don't do that anymore. When was the last time we did that? We've never done it under Oscar. Not once have we parked the bus from the beginning. Not one time. And that's what he means by protagonist. It's not always going to be pretty tiki-taka possession, dribble around everyone, score five goals. It's not almost never going to be that. But are we just going to lay down and let the other team dictate the terms of the game? Never. Absolutely never. We are going to have our objectives, and we are going to work towards them somewhat independent of what the other team does. And now, of course, we always react to what they do. But we are never letting them dictate every single thing about the game the way that we would constantly let our other teams do under Crace and O'Connor. And that's what protagonist means, I think, to Pereja and certainly to me. And, and, and that's why I think that that message doesn't necessarily fall as flat for me as it does maybe for other people. That's fair. We, we, I've never seen us start a game just sitting deep, like kick it long, drop off. All right, come at us. Yeah, that's fair. Um, all right, so going on the back of what I was saying, uh, at Aguay Goat says, how much longer does he get, Chase? Well, I mean, I think that he's... I feel like, you know, maybe 
me and sorry, my dog is going crazy right now, but me and um, on this podcast, we've been critical of him. But that's not to say that like, I'm like anti Oscar. I quite like him as well. And I think that it's hard to argue with the results. And like I said, I think that, I don't know if, if, if we are consistently like, like dropping points and stuff like that. And we're kind of looking like we're stagnating. Um, that's when he kind of is on the hot seat. But like we said, he's quite good at getting players to improve. Um, so it's hard for me to say like, oh, I think he has two years because I could see a scenario where especially like say we win the Open Cup or something like that. I could see him being here for five or six more years or something like that, which maybe especially in the MLS, that's not overly realistic, but it's not impossible. But I can also see a scenario where if we continue to look as maybe toothless in attack as we are, and we start becoming a bit easier to break down and the results are fall, are falling and we're not really looking like we're going to improve. Like, I mean, I could see him being gone by the end of the season, which obviously praise God. I hope that does not happen, but it, it's just a hard answer to say. Like, I think that once we start feeling like we are stagnating or regressing is when he really is like on the chopping block because it wouldn't, it would be hard for him to be like, Hey, look, like I'm trying to do X, Y, or Z and I'm building this year. Because, like I said, he is such a results-based coach. Yeah, when is his contract up? Ooh, I don't know. I'm trying to find it. I, I'm assuming we signed him to like a four-year deal. That's my guess. But I, I've never seen that. But we're in the middle of the third season. This could be a contract year. I don't, I don't know. Some coaches do three years. Uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought we renewed his contract this past off season. I thought he had a two, and then we just renewed it. Did we do that? I'm and then sure even I, I'm pretty uh, sure it's not up after this year. I don't think it's maybe not. I think we we probably would have heard about it. Um, I thought I did. <laughs> well, in any event, maybe maybe not. I don't see. I don't see anything about a new contract. Yeah, I don't like. How how often though do you see coaches just leave after the contracts up? The only like big example I've recently seen in like just professional sports and and I don't pay like too much attention to like the um European soccer as much as other people do, but um Jason Garrett left the Dallas Cowboys. Uh he wasn't actually fired. His contract was just up and they didn't renew it, which is a rarity in I know yeah. American sports. Um, but it doesn't happen that often. Usually either, you know, if they like you, they'll extend you. If not, you'll be fired before then. It might happen to Adrian Heath in Minnesota. He's in his last year, but um, that's a good point. It is a rarity. Um, but it could be a year to look at where we're at with Pereja and new ownership. If he doesn't do what they want, it could turn out... Um, quite negative i hope i hope it's uh it's not that though um yeah chase is saying he needs to go soon that's fair um we've been going for a long time we've got two left here um chase ocb with ocb showing a great goalkeeper do you think we will loan out grinwis or stajdahar no i'll answer that one um i don't think we're going to loan out grinwis or stajdahar i think there's a hierarchy there in the goalkeeper room and i think it'll stay that way yeah not much of a point yeah um interesting thought but i just don't think it'll happen 
Uh, that was from at LDouglas0107. And then last one here, Chase, I'll start with you. At PJ Knoll. I love Oscar, but it's one thing to be consistent, which he has been. I think we've all wondered when that next step is happening. It seems like a lot of the home losses he's put on himself and the staff. There's a recipe on how to beat Orlando City, and teams are exploiting it. Yeah. I think I think that maybe even to my detriment, like I don't put as much stock in results in regular season because of like the nature of the league and the playoffs. Like I think that if it looks like we're like missing missing on the playoffs or something like that, that is when I would start to like question and say like the stagnation. But I can't understand like the thought of like when are we going to see <coughs> excuse me, a little bit of it like an evolution. Um and if we start to become easier to beat like i think that if any team is going to play us and they're capable of playing this style they should see what new york did to us this season and that is something that they have to implement um and you know it would make us a bit easier to beat but i think that i don't know i i I think that i i would like to see us being able to hold on to leads a bit more and we start creating a bit more i think like that's the next step um, because maybe even in some aspects, like I, I said earlier, like, you know, we have to make sure there's no regression or something like that. Maybe that's something that we have gotten marginally worse on this year. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just like, it is frustrating and we have to see a bit more consistency with the results, but I think that I'm going to hold off on that judgment, I guess, until we get closer to the end of the season and we're looking at our position in the table and our ability in the playoffs. And I think that we can also look to it like the open cup how we're able to kind of test our resolve there. And that's a good indication of like where things are headed. Yep. Adam, uh, what say you on, we aren't taking that next step and home form. Um, I mean, consistency is one thing in home form. Obviously we have to get better. Part of it is we're still in open cup and a lot of teams aren't. So the recent home losses uh, have, you know, we're, tired a lot of schedule can get congestion which we're not the only team that has to deal with it but when you do have to deal with it, it does usually suck um also as far as like when are we going to take that next step into like being top of the league well look at the rosters at the top of the league look what new england had last year look at seattle sounders roster and um nycfc and nycfc's roster it's a different it's a different level of money spent it's a different level of all these slots being used and, you know, churning the roster when it, you know, a player doesn't work. So it seems like if a guy here gets stuck for two or three years, even if like, isn't Alvarado still technically with us? Yeah. He's or, on loan. Yeah. With option to buy. Right. Yeah. That like, it's Mateus IS too. Like, it seems like their rosters, they'll like turn that spot super quick. I'm like, Oh, you didn't work out. Bye. You're gone. We're getting someone new in. And we just didn't up until this year didn't have that money to spend like that. Um, I think it's getting better. We've seen, you know, more quality players come in and the money be spent. Uh, we also, you know, Gaston Gonzalez had that very unfortunate injury. He would have been reinforcements that we've maybe would have seen, you know, help us take that next step. Uh, Antonio Carlos went down. That's a lot of very quality minutes that we're losing. Uh, uh, you know, a, a top five defender in the league when when he's healthy. So it, it's a little bit of we've had some very, very key injuries this season when we were expected to take that step. 
and also that the depth of the roster isn't quite at that level yet. And it might take, you know, another window or two to where it can be at that level. And, and you know, I, I don't know how much cap space that we have. I do think I know that we could potentially buy down Pereira if we wanted to bring in another DP. I don't think we will. That Let me be very clear. I don't think we will, but I think technically accounting-wise we could. So we'll see how ambitious they are in building the squad to that point because you can't just put it on the, on the guy that doesn't even step on the field and be like, hey, you got to go beat Seattle now, right? You got to beat LAFC. You got to beat NYCFC. You got to beat Red Bulls, right? In order to do that, yes, the, the tactics have to be there, and sometimes they are and sometimes they aren't, but also you need the players to do it. Yep, I, I think that's fair, and that's a good way to end it. Um, it was a long one, but there's a lot to talk about with Pareja, and I think that's why I really wanted to to do this podcast. I think it was a good time to to take a step back and do an assessment on him. Chase, thank you so much for bearing with me. Where can our listeners find you at? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Vamos OC. Ooh, Vamos OCSC if you want to give me a fit check. Let me know. 15 out of 10, baby. Adam, yeah. where can our listeners find you at? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Kosher Taco Truck is my personal account. Cappy's Food Truck professional account. I did look at the calendar. Next one is going to be the Open Cup match. We are keeping the Open Cup good juju flowing. Let's fill up the stadium even more than last time, and let's eat some Cappy's. Yes, sir. Awesome. Really good episode, guys. Uh, talk to you all next week. Have a good rest of your night. Vamos. Vamos. Biggest man in MLS comes up here!